Welcome to The Athlete and the NARP. I'm Jenna Daly, and I'm the athlete. And I'm Claire Fenton, and I'm the NARP. And if you don't know what a NARP is, then you're one too. Welcome to the first episode of The Athlete and the NARP, hosted by Jenna Daly and myself, Claire Fenton. Just to give you a brief background on who we are and why we decided to start this podcast, Jenna and I are both students at Emory University in Atlanta. Uh, Jenna, the athlete, is on the track and cross country teams here, and myself, Claire, I'm just into sports. I run recreationally quite a lot. I'm training for a marathon right now, but I'm not a Jenna's level on an NCAA sanctioned team. So we met, uh, we were sports editors for the Emory Wheel, which is Emory's student newspaper. We met in like January 2022 when we came onto that those roles together. And we've just been best buddies ever since. We have. And we really wanted to start a podcast together to talk about sports. So this podcast will cover all aspects of sports, specifically focusing on U.S. and college sports. We'll cover current events, but we'll also go beyond the results and talk about the pop culture side of sports, too. During this episode, we will talk about the NCAA D1 conference realignment and how it also ties into a broader discourse of athlete mental health. And this topic was one that I really brought to the table and I've been talking to Jenna about for a while because it's particularly interesting to me. We've kind of seen in the NCAA an unprecedented conference shift from a bunch of teams hopping from the Pac-12, which is the main conference on the West Coast of the U.S., to a bunch of other bigger name conferences. So just I want to give a brief rundown of kind of how this all began just so there's kind of a context for what's going on. But we want to spend the meat of this episode really talking about how this decision and the decisions these schools have made really is not to the advantage of the vast majority of the student-athletes that go to these schools, particularly uh, how it pertains to their mental health, which the NCAA proclaims to really care about. The main background of this is that on July 27th, Colorado, which is part of the Pac-12, um, announced that they would be leaving the Pac-12 to move to the Big 12. Um, This was on July 27th, which wasn't necessarily unexpected because they had been in the Big 12 before, but it was still somewhat surprising. The Pac-12 as a whole has 12 schools. A bunch of them are not super competitive across a bunch of sports, but there are a few in the top, like Colorado, that are big name brands that would benefit from being in a more competitive and a more financially lucrative, that's the keyword, conference. So Colorado announced this move. Two days later, Oregon and Washington came as a huge surprise to everyone, announced that they were going to be leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, which is, you know, one of the most competitive, biggest conferences in the NCAA for Division I sports. And this was definitely more unprecedented and made a lot of headlines. And these moves were prompted by football, really, because football is the most financially lucrative sport for any school, but especially for Oregon and Washington, who compete in a not-so-competitive football league in the Pac-12. They wanted to move to a more competitive league with the likes of schools like Ohio State so that they can be brought into national championships, which, again, would be more lucrative for them. 
soon after that, USC and UCLA announced that they would also be leaving the Pac-12 and moving to the Big Ten as well. No one thought that that would be a thing that they would want to do, especially because they are also the two of the biggest names in the conference, but they're competitive in a bunch of other sports outside of football as well. So that was, again, just very surprising. And basically what happened in the months, and even within the weeks after that, the rest of the Pac-12 completely crumbled with half of its members and its biggest members now exiting. Pretty much everybody else was just scrambling to find a different conference to belong to because within the next few years, the Pac-12 is going to be completely gone. And these schools, you know, they want to belong to a big conference in a financially competitive conference so they can earn money for themselves. That's kind of what this is about. But these conferences now, like the Big 12 and the Big 10, the Pac-12 was kind of more unique in the fact that it had 12 schools. Big 10, Big 12, they have way more schools than their name suggests they do. They can't just accept new teams because otherwise they're going to be too big for themselves to be able to handle. So basically that's in the in the most recent weeks, schools have been scrambling to try to figure out where they where they belong, most particularly Stanford and Berkeley, which are two big academic and athletic names. They don't have a place to be right now. And so there was rumors that they would be going to the ACC, but the ACC is not sure if they want them. Other schools and other conferences are switching around, such as Oklahoma and Texas had announced a while ago that they were leaving to go to the SEC. So a lot of conference moves happening for these schools, again, all driven by football revenue and TV revenue because the contracts for the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12 are much bigger than that for the Pac-12. All this makes sense from an administration perspective. You're going to be bringing in a lot more money. You're going to have your football and, I guess, your basketball athletes on, you know, a bigger TV stage. You're making more money from that. But I think all these moves have just really underscored how little the NCAA values the mental health of their student-athletes. Because the one thing that was great about the Pac-12 was that all these West Coast schools were in a conference on the West Coast. You have Washington, Oregon, all the schools in California, Utah, Colorado – they're all right next to each other. So whenever they would play their conference games, travel was, you know, maybe not the best, but not that bad. Now you have schools like Oregon and Washington who are going to have to fly their athletes out across the country to schools on the East Coast and the Midwest for not just one or two conference games, but for every single conference game. That's kind of a big deal. These are five-hour flights across the country, down and back, for kids that still have to go to school. That's the reason they're there. They're there to get a degree. And I appreciated hearing Missouri football head coach Eli Drinkowitz commented on this and basically kind of blasted the NCAA and said, clearly, nobody's looking out for these athletes. Clearly, they weren't asked. And I appreciated hearing that from him as a coach from the sport who is mostly benefiting from this and really didn't have there was no incentive for him to, you know, he didn't need to speak out on it. It's not like his athletes are particularly involved. So I appreciated hearing it from him. And Pac-12 softball players as well. Pac-12 softball has typically been one of the best in the country. They've won over half of the softball championships that have been held. I think it was 24 out of 40. So very great programs. They spoke out after the decision was made about how upset they are that for their senior year, for example, some of them being seniors, their parents and their family members and their friends who originally thought, you know, living close to home, that they would be able to watch them play all their games are now going to have to fly out 
like I said, five-hour flights to the other side of the country or just not go at all. And also the detriment that this is going to take on their sleep schedule, their mental health, their ability to do their schoolwork. There's a lot of stress. I mean, Jenna could speak on it. There's a lot of stress and a lot of time management that goes into being a student athlete at the Division One level for a sport that's not necessarily profitable. You're not on TV. There's not an easy professional path out there for you. Really just doing it I think Jenna's used the term labor of love before. It's kind of a little bit like gossip girl drama to watch this all go down. But at the same time, I think it's really disheartening for me to see how quickly these schools disbanded a conference that's been around for years in favor of money and enlarging their brand without, I'm sure, without consulting with the vast majority of their athletes that are affected, not just the football players. As an athlete, even though I'm on the D3 level, I I travel a lot. I mean, our conference, the UAA conference, is all over the country. And for me, I'm competing one race or two days. I even think for me, it's very difficult to figure out how to balance school and athletics while also trying to take care of the the mental health aspect and proper nutrition and proper sleep and trying to have a social life and all the things that you have as a normal college student, but then also adding on athletics to that. So then when you talk about these cross-country flights, like when softball goes to play, they don't just play one game. It's not a full weekend for one game. It's, it's four games usually, and that's a lot physically, mentally, emotionally, But then you also have to think about, okay, that takes up their entire weekend, probably also having them miss class multiple days a week, every single week. So that impacts them at an academic level. And I know for me personally, I imagine it's the same for a lot of other athletes, but the night before or the morning of, if you have an afternoon event, you don't want to spend that time doing homework because you want to mentally be able to yourself the in the best shape possible for your event and I know that running is a little bit more mentally focused but it goes the same way for any athlete like you don't want to just show up unprepared or you don't want to be doing an assignment and stressing about it and then go play your game an hour later like that's that's not great for you that's not great for your team and it is it is like you said disappointing and disheartening to see that a lot of athletes are going to have to deal with this when they didn't think they were going to have to And they probably chose some of these schools because of that, because they wanted to stay close to home, which some of the softball players and their tweets were talking about. They wanted their families to be able to see them compete, and now they can't, and that might might be harder. Or being able to just go home, which probably won't be an option anymore. So it is really difficult and frustrating as an athlete to see other athletes having to deal with this especially when we have seen a recent uptick in a lot of instances where people can't really handle it anymore and then they make national headlines, but then all of a sudden it disappears and people pretend it's not happening. But there are players out there suffering every single day and people aren't really doing, or at least administrations aren't really doing a lot to help mitigate that. And now we have something that's really at the detriment of a lot of D1 athletic mental health. For me, when I'm watching any athlete perform at any level, but especially at the Division I level, I always have to take a second to remind myself, you know, when UGA and Clemson are playing on ESPN, the 
the game of the night, games that millions of people are tuning into, I just have to remind myself that all of the players out there are, they're at college to get a degree. That's what they're there for. Football's their way to going to school for free. And sure, some of them go on to play in the NFL. Obviously, it's not most of them. It's, it's a very small fraction, but even for the most profitable sports like basketball and football, I have to remind myself it's a job for them, but it's also not the most important thing they're doing at school. The important thing they're doing is getting a degree and completing their classes because they need to have a life once their senior year ends and they don't have eligibility anymore. And this is especially true for female athletes at the collegiate level for a multitude of reasons. I mean, professional careers are not as easily accessible or financially viable for female athletes. So, I mean, they're there to get their degree. That's their priority for sure. But then any of the other men's sports really that aren't football, basketball, baseball, I mean, there's a lot of sports. If you're at the division one level, I mean, you're going there for free no matter what sport you play. So they have the same scholarship. They have the same time commitment. They have the same amount of work, but not everyone gets to play on the national stage. Not everyone gets to bring that money into their school and they're there to get their degree. That's clearly with these deals, that's clearly not the priority for these schools, for these conferences, because it's just clearly driven by money. And sure, you can argue that money trickles back down to the athletes in terms of the facilities they get and the amenities they have, but at, at what cost? I'd Like Jenna mentioned, I mean, Jenna and I had written an article for The Wheel last year that really just took a deep dive into student-athletes' mental health at the NCAA level. And so we're kind of familiar. We read quite a few stories of athletes that really, really struggled. It was really sad to read. Um, and, and again, these were athletes at Division One schools that have nutritionists and therapists and plenty of resources available to them, but they still felt like they had nobody to turn to, nowhere to go. And if athletes at this level, like athletes, you know, at Oregon or Washington or Colorado, these schools that are moving around, if they still struggle with mental health and, and they have all the amenities, all the resources in the world for them, then how can we expect anybody else? How, how can we expect any of them to be okay? I mean, those, we, we went through a lot of NCAA surveys for part of our background research and the vast majority of athletes report that they are overwhelmed most of the time or a lot of the time. There's very, very few that say, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I feel comfortable. I'm okay. I'm in a great place mentally most of the time. That's not what most of them say. Theoretically, this is, you know, for these schools, they're going to play football at a higher level. They're going to get to compete against better teams. Theoretically, more players would want to come to their schools. But I wonder if it'll hurt recruitment for the West Coast schools, rec- recruitment for other sports like softball. I mean, if you were a softball player, if you chose to go to Oregon because it was not only because it was a great program, but because it was close to home, are you still going to want to do that when you're traveling to the East Coast every every weekend to play, like Jenna said, four games at a time? Is that worth it for you? Is that worth it for your mental health when maybe you could you could play in conference? You could play at, you know, Ohio State, for example, and only travel out to the West Coast twice. This conference realignment and just the whole discussion about it, I really feel like it's placing a monetary value on the head of each athlete in this decision. And it really is, honestly, partially dehumanizing them and kind of taking away their value as a person, which might it might sound extreme to some people, but honestly, that's how I feel because there really aren't that many articles and news outlets discussing 
what's going on beyond the financials of this decision. And I think that that's actually a really important part that they need to be considering because that's going to really impact different things in the future. Like Claire said, with talking about recruitment, if a school's athletes are suffering, that <laughs> that's going to be a huge burden on recruitment. And there's just there's so many consequences of a, a big decision like this that I think have really been ignored. The fight for NIL that recently occurred last summer, the fight to get that to be a thing and to allow athletes to profit off of who they are. I mean, it went to the Supreme Court, just such an uphill battle for them and such a big win for them as well. I mean, it's amazing that they get to profit off of their talent and their abilities and who they are on their own terms. But, you know, this feels like a kind of a step backward in a sense, making decisions that affect everyone for the sake of a few. And really, you know, it's not even for the sake of a few because football, like I said, I mean, these athletes, the whole point is that they're going to get better television rights. They'll be on national TV more often, which might, might attract more recruits, help the team win championships, which is, you know, the success of the team. Sure, that's that's great for the athletes, but they have the same travel, you know, their mental health will suffer just the same because even them switching conferences does nothing to alleviate the stresses of the increased travel, the lack of sleep, the amount of schoolwork they're going to have to make up. Again, these athletes are teenagers. They're young. They're Maybe not all of them are expecting to have a professional career. Maybe some are, but the vast majority aren't. But this problem it doesn't just affect college athletes. It's not just because they're young and they're in school and there's a lot going on. Even professionals, like we've seen it across all sports, but professionals struggle with this stuff as well. And professionals have a world's worth more resources available to them to help with this stuff. And you'd think they're professionals. They should be okay. They should know what they're doing. This stuff shouldn't bother them, but it does. Right. And I think one of the most prominent examples of that at the moment is Simone Biles and her return to competitive gymnastics when about two years ago she pulled out of the Olympics uh, because of mental health reasons and she perceived danger to to herself and people were shocked to say the least that that would happen because I remember watching the Olympics and she was the she was the face of the 2020/2021 Olympics. Every single time there would be a commercial break when she was competing, the commentators would call her the goat every single time. And I remember when she pulled out, she or even I think even before she pulled out, she said she felt like the weight of the world was on her shoulders. That's an immense amount of pressure for someone to feel competing in a sport that they they should love. One of her interviews, she vocalized that she wasn't really at the Olympics for herself, and which which I think is a really important part of being an athlete. I I think it might be hard to explain this to someone who hasn't competed at the college level. One of the most important parts of being an athlete and the mental health aspect of it is loving what you do or at least having a drive for yourself in your sport. And once you lose that, it is really, really difficult to perform at the highest level you can or even just like an okay level. It gets really, really difficult. With Simone Biles, 
it was really interesting to see her pull out and be very vocal about prioritizing her mental health. And I also thought it was really interesting to watch the reaction to this happening because, like I said, people were shocked. This was heard around the world. I mean, people couldn't believe it when she was supposed to just obliterate the competition. I had found this quote. It was CNN. Scotty Andrew had said, but Biles is the greatest, not because she's never lost, but because now that she has, she's reminded us what happens when the burden of expectations becomes too heavy for even the most celebrated among us to bear. Which there was definitely some backlash about her pulling out. But generally, a lot of the articles I saw, particularly after once she started speaking out a little bit more, they were people were commending her for it. She was high, she was pretty applauded for taking the time to care for her mental health, which I find is very different than the usual response. I remember when Naomi Osaka pulled out of the French Open in 2021, the comments after that were not very positive. Big contrast to when Biles pulled out. So I think it's really interesting with how people respond to it and how that might even play a role in how people deal with the mental health struggles. But to me, what I thought about Biles was I was like, great, here is this athlete who is on a global stage, on a global platform, advocating for mental health. Maybe this will be a step in the right direction. This this could be something that people take and roll with because, yes, it is really important. And here is someone that people really look up to. I mean, there's articles calling her the GOAT, literally our queen hero, superhuman. Here she is talking about how important mental health is to sports. So maybe we will see a shift. But then we see decisions like the conference realignment and just the total ignorance of student-athlete mental health. And I feel like we've just gotten right back to square one and we've backpedaled with everything. I mean, Simone Biles, she's always been an inspiration to me when I did play sports in high school as a female athlete, but then even just as a woman, I think she's an incredibly strong and amazing role model for people to look up to. Her pulling out, it does take a lot of strength. I remember more some of the backlash she got. I mean, I think people within gymnastics have always been very supportive of her because they kind of know the position that she's in. But I do remember, there. of course, people are always going to have something to say about an athlete whenever they do something like that and especially probably a female athlete and I remember people comparing it to well what if Michael Jordan had just pulled out of like game six if he didn't feel like it that was definitely frustrating for me to hear because I don't think that I mean Simone Biles she trained she has trained her whole life to go to the Olympics I, I think for people to think that it was in maybe an easy decision or she was just too nervous and to kind of act like it was something that she just chose to step away from is bizarre to me. She trains four years for this. It's not easy to take a step back and say, I'm not ready. I can't do this. I might hurt myself. That's not an easy thing to do at all. And I really, at the time, and still now, I applaud her for taking the time to, and the strength to take a step back and say, I need to get myself right we rare, I feel like I rarely see college athletes um, or news, I should say news of college athletes deciding not to play in games or taking a step back because of their mental health. 
I've heard quite a few former NCAA athletes talk about how they needed that step back. They needed time off and they felt like they couldn't ask for it because they were letting their team down or they might lose their spot on the team. Victoria Garrick is one that I used to watch a lot. She used to play volleyball for, ironically, USC. And she said that the pressure was immense and she was really struggling with her mental health throughout her whole time there. And there were times where she would go to the bathroom in between breaks and just sob her eyes out during practice. But she felt like she couldn't take time off because she was afraid that one of her teammates would take her starting position. And that was something that she felt like she would be worse than just suffering through it. And I think that kind of mentality is, it, it just pains me that athletes are feeling that. And even people like, it, not just limited to female athletes, even Kevin Love and Michael Phelps have both been very, very vocal about the struggles they've had with their mental health and have done a lot of work, Michael Phelps since his retirement, but in Kevin Love even now to kind of create these spaces where athletes feel more comfortable dealing with their mental health and getting themselves right and not ignoring it and feeling like they have to play through it. But if even all these people, they still, they're still struggling with it, they feel like there aren't structures in place at the professional level to help them, then these college athletes definitely don't have that for them. And that really does kind of, it's kind of scary. And this is a problem that is super just woven into athletics in general and our culture in general, but change really needs to start with administrations at least acknowledging their impact on mental health of student athletes at the college level. Like, and, and then after acknowledging it, they need to say, okay, this is how we're going to move forward. There's definitely talk about how it's it, it's almost an epidemic. Like there's so many people struggling, but then that kind of seems to be where the conversation ends. And I really haven't heard of many administrations reacting to those NCAA surveys that we had read into and reported on in our article last year. I haven't really seen a lot of revamping of, okay, this is a problem. And then you have the conference realignment where, once again, no one's talking about it. No one's like, okay, we're going to do this. We acknowledge this is at the detriment of the mental health, but here is how we are going to attempt to mitigate that. That's the piece that I think this is missing. I With the conference realignment, if, if schools were to say, okay, here is what could go wrong, and this is our full comprehensive plan, I think that it would be a much smarter decision. And I think people would be a little bit more supportive of it in terms of athletes who have spoken out and being like, okay, this is tough, but at least I know I can rely on this new ther- like team therapist or this new schedule that we have for talking about it and here is this I don't know here's this resource that will help me manage my time a little bit better because I feel really overwhelmed right now and I don't know how to fix it but the administration can step in and be like here is what you can do 
I think that's that's in my opinion, the next steps that these administrations need to take if they are going to be moving conferences like this. They need to acknowledge, okay, this is what we kind of failed to think about or we failed to talk about in our announcements, but we want to acknowledge them now, and here's what we're doing moving forward. And another component of this that kind of goes along with that is the academic reputation that some of these Pac-12 schools have is a big allure for student-athletes. It is at the Division III level, but Emory's athletic conference, the UAA, is that's kind of its whole thing. It's touted as an, a conference that hosts schools with strong athletics, sure, but even stronger academics. That's the drawing point for pretty much, you know, I, Jenna and I spend a lot of time looking at athlete bios on the website, especially when we were doing um, writing sports articles for the section to, you know, have their stats and their backgrounds and everything. And there's always a question that's asked, why did you decide to come to Emory? And 90% of athletes say some version of, it was a combination of great athletics and great academics. It might even be higher than 90%. Yeah, it's almost everybody. That is the appeal. I mean, even for me, Mm -hmm. um, the UAA is essentially an intentional D3 conference to prioritize like student and then athlete right because a lot of the times you guys will compete on Fridays and and Jenna's is a little bit different because she does track so that's once every other week but for the sports that play um the basketball the soccer's the softballs even to some extent they'll play Friday through Sunday and that's usually almost exclusively it it's particularly for conference games because we're supposed to go to school during the week. And then you play on Sunday morning, usually, or early afternoon. You're back in time, not at 1 a.m., theoretically, as long as your travel goes to plan. You're back in time to kind of collect yourself and get ready for school on Monday. So that's something intentional that the UAA does. There's a lot of support behind all the schools for making sure that that's the way things go. With At the Division One level, that's kind of what the Ivy League does with those conference games. They usually play on Fridays and Sundays or on the weekends, times when kids aren't having to miss a ton of class because obviously it's the Ivy League, academics are come first. For these other leagues, that's not the case, and that's okay. Student-athletes know they're signing on to that. But for schools like Stanford, UCLA, USC, Berkeley that are in the Pac-12, I mean, they do pride themselves on being strong academic programs. That's part of the allure, especially for a school like Stanford. Those four that I mentioned, and there are other some good ones too, but those four are difficult for any person in the country to get into, let alone, you know, an athlete. So for those schools then to some of their own volition, some because there was no conference left for them to belong to, for them to have to figure out which East Coast conference they're going to be a part of willingly in the case of schools like USC and UCLA, somewhat unwillingly in the case of Stanford and Berkeley, who were kind of left in a four-team conference when all of this went down, are having to subject their athletes to the issues we talked about before and knowing that they're putting their athletes at a greater risk for having mental health issues, that's really tough. And again, especially at these school, like at these schools where academics really are the priority, I'm sure even for the athletes, they wouldn't have gone there if they didn't value academics themselves. For them to have to try to keep up with that, and like Jenna said, she's you know sometimes it's a struggle for her and other athletes at the D3 level who go to an academically rigorous school to stay on top of everything. It has to be much, much worse for these 
Division One athletes now playing at those types of schools, especially, you know, and it's especially disappointing given that the NCAA is, you know, a collegiate conference. We're there for school and sports are supposed to be the thing on the side, but it seems to be some of these schools are treating it as the other way around. Because Claire and I are going to talk about some serious topics occasionally on this podcast, we wanted to have something called Fun Fridays at the end of every episode where we do something silly and goofy related to sports. So this week's Fun Friday is taking the top 10 ranked quarterbacks going into the season and explaining to each other which fruit we think they are. We are going to start off with Patrick Mahomes. And Claire, I'll let you go first. Thank you. And I will say this has been highly anticipated ever since we thought of this idea. So I'm very excited to get into this. But so Patrick Mahomes, I think it's honestly just by the way he looks and the way his hair is. But I said he was a pineapple. I did too. No way. And I literally have, look at him with hair in parentheses. That's so. so funny. No, that's literally all it is. He just has kind of like curly hair coming off the top like a pineapple would. And he has like a nice straight face, kind of like the base would be. Yep. So I'm glad we're in agreement on that. That's a great way to start this off. I, I have a feeling we're going to diverge pretty quickly, but <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm glad we agree. So why don't you go now for Josh Allen? Okay. For Josh Allen, I think he's a peach. And here's my reasoning. First off, I think he's pretty adorable. He's He's a sweetie. He's a sweet guy. But I also think he would be the type of person to say just peachy. In a normal sentence. <laughs> That's so good. I actually agree. No way. I didn't know. I didn't pick him as a peach, but I agree with you. Oh, but I okay. think I, I mentioned to Jenna, actually, when we were describing this, what I think Josh Allen is, which is a blueberry. And I feel like peaches and blueberries kind of go hand in hand, idea-wise. They're just... And I think, they're honestly, for pies. him, they're bo- they both go into pies, too, my favorite pies. Uh, I think his personality, when I watch him do interviews or hang out with his teammates and stuff like that, he just seems like a real down-to-earth, funny, likable guy. And he's always smiling. He has a nice smile, a nice round face that just kind of reminds me of Blueberry. And his jersey is blue as well. So I think all of those things just played into it for me. Moving down to number three, probably our favorite. (laughs) We're starting off with Joe Burrow. Um, (laughs) To be honest, I... This is kind of maybe coming out of left field, but I said pomegranate. Oh my God, I almost did too. You but did? I, I did change it. So, okay. But I thought pomegranate. Again, it's personality wise. I mean, we know a lot about Joe Burrow. Our TikTok feeds are inundated with Joe Burrow videos. So we had a lot to go on here. So I think for me, more than anything else, it was just a feeling. And if I had to put a finger on what it is, I would maybe say he's just, he's a sweet guy, but he's a little sassy too. And I feel like with a pomegranate, it's like that bright purplish, reddish color that's like, you know, very pleasing. But then when you like eat it, it's very tart. Um, and I think for me, it's that's just the vibe I was getting for him. But I'm glad that you felt the same way because I'm like, this is going to be hard to explain if it's not. No, I get apparent. it. Okay. I get it. Amazing. Um, I did change my answer, though. So I do I do have one and it's a lot more basic than yours. But I said he's like watermelon because 
He's liked by everyone of all ages. Like, I have not met someone who doesn't like watermelon. This is good. Conversely, I have not met someone who doesn't like Joe Burrow. So, um, the man of the people. Watermelon he, is the fruit he of the people. is the man of the people. <laughs> I love that. That's a good pick. Thank you. Next, we have Justin Herbert. Um, I really struggled with this one. I really did. So, to me, he's a blueberry. But I don't have a great explanation. I'm going to be honest. I I understand how Josh Allen is a blueberry for you, uh, but not for me. So Justin Herbert reminds me of a blueberry. It might be his jersey. might not be. might just be his face, his vibe to me, but he's a blueberry. I said grapes, and I think because, like you said, the Chargers do these for their TikTok account – they have this running gag where they always try to get him to do something and he always avoids the camera, always avoids the social media team. So I think for grapes, it's like you kind of hide in the bunch, you know. He's, he, it's hard That's to pick amazing. him out from the rest of them. And, I, and again, he seems like a sweet guy. It's not because he's a jerk or anything. And I like grapes. They're very sweet fruit. They're always very good. So I wanted to, you know, hype him up in that arena. But I think just the vibes of the way he avoids the social media team feels like a grape. That was very poetic. Okay, five. We have Aaron Rodgers. I said, um, I said he's a raisin, which is an old grape. I almost said raisin. So I think we're on the same. We're yes. on very much on the same vibes. Yes. Um, to be honest, he kind of looks like a raisin, but that's not my reasoning. The reasoning is just he's old. That's the main one, of course. Aged and aged grape. <laughs> But also, raisins are very hit or miss. Um, and I'm thinking about people who are fans of Aaron Rodgers and people who are very much not. And I feel like raisins can be very controversial. Like, either you really like them or you really, really don't. So that's kind of how he falls, I think, with quarterbacks. I think that's a good explanation. I mean, again, I said because I almost won with it. Mine's definitely out of left field for this. Some would call it cheating. I think it's okay. I said tomato. Because I think for me, when I see an athlete like Aaron Rodgers or just one that's uh, Tom Brady even, one that's kind of overstayed their welcome in the league, my first thought is like, what are you doing here? And I think for me, that's how I feel for a tomato when people lump it in the fruit category. It's like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. So that's why, that's why I gave him tomato. Just seems like he's he doesn't belong. He's overstayed his welcome. It's actually really funny that you use tomato uh -oh. because our next person is Lamar Jackson and one of the most prominent things I know and from the limited knowledge I know of Lamar Jackson is that he's a Russian quarterback like that's his thing um some might even say he's essentially a running back but teach their own so because of that I said he was a tomato because people are like is a tomato really a fruit so with the criticism of him basically being a running back, it's like, is he really a quarterback? So that's how I use tomato. And okay. We use the same same idea, same concept, same tomato concept, different person. Yes. Okay, love it. I chose orange. And to be fair, like, I didn't know anything about Lamar Jackson until maybe like 15 minutes ago. And during my research, I went to TikTok, and one of the videos I saw was of him you know, bringing water out to his teammates during a game break, like squirting water bottles in their mouth, asking if they needed anything. And so for me, that felt very like, you know how there's always a mom in the friend group. That was very mom energy from him. And, you know, what do moms do at 
at their kids' games, they bring orange slices. And so <laughs> I think for me that, again, I'm extrapolating a lot onto his character and who he is based off this 15-second TikTok that I saw, but that's why I gave him orange for the the mom, the dad, the buddy energy he was giving off during that game. Fair enough. Next we have Jalen Hurts, and I said he's a guava. We're on the same wavelength, not the same fruit, but the same wavelength. Okay, I said guava. I feel like that's kind of a bougie fruit, and he just gives he gives bougie. Um, his style is good, you know. He's very suave. I nicknamed him the suave guav. <laughs> very proud of that one. That's Even that's good. So bad. That's good. No, that's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. He just kind of like radiates confidence, and yeah, I think respect, and so does guava. I'm on the island vibes with you as well. I said coconut. And I think it's mostly because I feel like that's what he smells like <laughs> for kind of the same reason. He's very stylish. He's, he gives high fashion, bougie, like you said. And so I wanted something island for sure. I was just like not sure what I wanted. But I feel like the coconut, like that nice fresh smell, that just like screams him. Like he would be like in an in a Old Spice commercial or something like that. Next we have Trevor Lawrence. For me... He's a banana. Stop. Me too. Oh, no way. <laughs> yes. Um, and I bet our reasoning is very similar. Okay. Because I, I took one of the videos that we were talking about mm-hmm. of him. Mm-hmm. And it's the go play with some swag, like hype up video that he is trying to hype up his team. I just think he's very plain. Bananas. There are different types of bananas, but you wouldn't know that because they pretty much all taste the same. And... You always know what you're getting with a banana. Like, there's there's not too much to Trevor Lawrence's personality. I I think, honestly, for me, I went by... I knew about his personality. I had sent Jenna that video of him, like, failing miserably to hype his teammates up in the locker room. So I had seen that. I knew that background. But I think, for me, honestly, I chose banana, but it was mostly by his looks. Because his hair, it kind of reminds me, like... Of, like, peeling a banana. The peels? Yeah. And he has just, oh, like, no. such a oval-shaped... He has a really strong neck and, like, a long neck. And his face kind of just goes right into it. And so it's kind of like a banana. And I was just picturing peeling. But I totally agree with your um, assessment of how a banana reflects his personality. I, I, or his, his energy levels. I definitely agree with that. So glad we're on the same page there. Number nine... We have Kirk Cousins. I I went with cantaloupe for this one. My reasoning is that cantaloupe is fairly bland, nothing too crazy, and it's loved by some. It's not really hated, but it's not exactly preferred by others. Like I don't really It's nobody's favorite fruit. Exactly. Exactly. Like no one no one would do that. So it's no one's favorite fruit. But no one, like, has an extreme dislike for cantaloupe. I went with watermelon, and this one was just purely looks. He has a big head. That's all. <laughs> it's just shaped like a watermelon. I even oh, looked at some Kirk. photos of him on a red carpet, and I just thought the same thing. And then number 10, we have Dak Prescott. I put apricot because I forgot that he existed, and I thought, Actually, I didn't think anything. I forgot that apricots were a fruit. So um, when I was blanking on what fruits to be looking at, I looked them up and I found a list in alphabetical order and I saw apricot and I was like, wow, 
that's a fruit. And then I know pretty much next to nothing about Dak Prescott because I haven't really heard anything about the Cowboys that are worth mentioning, so I forgot that he existed. That's that's a good one. I like the reasoning behind it. Me, I went with the Kiwi because, and it's a little bit more to do with his playing style, and I didn't know a lot about him either. So, again, went to TikTok, watched some videos, and the first couple ones that popped up were of him throwing interceptions in practice and people in the comments flaming him for how bad he is and how much they don't like him, I guess, as Cowboys fans. Not because of who he is, but I guess he hasn't been performing too well, as Jenna alluded to. I feel like Kiwi's... You always think they're going to be good. Like, I'm sure they had, they thought he was going to be good for them whenever they decided to make him their number one quarterback. But I feel like every time I eat one, I'm disappointed. Just never lives up to the hype, doesn't live up to my expectations. And they're so complicated to eat, too, because they got, like, the weird skin on the outside. So I that's why I went with Kiwi. He seems like a nice guy, so nothing against him, but just purely for his him not living up to the hype. I love Kiwis, so... I'm mildly insulted. And again, for maybe Kiwis. some but again you know, personal preference. Some you people never know. stick with you exactly. know players. Some, they some they need are supporters. Diehard Kiwi fans. Some people are probably diehard Dak Prescott fans too. Yeah. So everybody needs supporters. Exactly. Um, so that was that went surprisingly well because I can't believe we connected. We connected on a couple of those. Yeah, that was. And we purposely did not talk about this beforehand so that we could surprise one another, but we we landed on a couple that we agreed on. That was good. That was good. I thought I thought we might be arguing on a few here. Me too. But no, we were on we were on the same page. Thank you for listening to the first episode of The Athlete and the NARP. We hope you enjoyed our discussion about the NCAA conference realignment, athletes' mental health, and our QBs as fruit. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Athlete and the NARP. You can contact us by email at theathleteandthenarp at gmail.com with content suggestions, clarifications, or questions. Until next time, I'm Claire Fenton. And I'm Jenna Daly. And this has been The Athlete and the NARP. NARP.